0: I'd like to invite you to join me in prayer. Our Father, your name is to be blessed at all times. We bless your name today for so many reasons, for your faithfulness, for your love and grace. And Lord, also for the fact that you have chosen to communicate to us through your word, that you've given us a written testimony of who you are and what you have done down through history. And I pray that today as we open scripture, that you will give us hearts and minds to be ready to understand what it is that you have done, And then how that applies to our lives. And I pray that as a result of this time together today, that you will be glorified in us and through us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we begin this morning, I want to invite you to imagine with me that you are moving. You have packed and labeled all the boxes. And the day has come. The moving truck pulls up into your driveway. And before your eyes, the house that has been filled with so many memories through the years is now being emptied as boxes and furniture flow out the door and into the truck. You head outside just to take it all in, to watch what's taking place, and your neighbor walks over to you, and a conversation ensues. Your neighbor says, hey, I I didn't know you were moving. And then you respond, well, I didn't know either until recently. Well, what happened? Did you get a job transfer? no well why are you moving God told me to move huh okay well whatever where are you moving to I, I don't know what you're packing up your family and all your stuff and you're moving and you don't even know where you're moving to yeah that's pretty much it I mean, imagine you have this type of conversation now in your yard as a moving truck is packing up all your stuff. I mean, how crazy is that to think about the idea of moving, but not knowing where you're moving to? I think about the number of different times in my adult life that I have moved, and I can say that every single one of those times, I knew exactly where I was moving to and why I was making that move. But today we're going to be meeting a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah, who are going to be making a major move, but they don't actually know where they are moving to. If you would like to follow along in the Bible on this account, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12. If you'd like to follow along but did not bring a Bible, you can grab one from the pew and turn to page 10. Last week we began a series that's called Father of Faith. The life and legacy of Abraham. And if we want a deep understanding of the Bible, it's going to be valuable to know about Abraham. Because even in the New Testament, which was written some 2,000 years after Abraham lived, even in the New Testament, Abraham's name occurs 73 times on the lips of Jesus and in the writings of Paul and James and Peter and in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. Now, last week we began this series by looking in Romans chapter 4 in the New Testament as the Apostle Paul was describing how Abraham is an illustration of the fact that salvation comes by faith alone. And then today we're going to be diving back into the book of Genesis, and we'll be camping out in Genesis for a number of weeks ahead of us, looking at the biography of Abraham himself. So we're actually today going to be starting just a little bit before Genesis 12, but it's probably on the same page as where you turn in your Bibles to Genesis 12. We're going to begin reading Genesis 11, verse 27, so I invite you to follow along as I start there. It says, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur, of the Chaldeans, and Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, who was Terah's grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So this is Abraham's first appearance in the Bible. We're going to trace in the coming weeks all the way through his life, all the way to his death. But I want to point out two things from this passage I just read before we move on. First of all, notice the name. It's not Abraham. It's actually Abram. But both Abraham and Abram refer to the same guy. For much of his life, Abraham went by Abram, and then God changed his name. It was actually the same type of dynamic with his wife, Sarai, who God changed her name later to Sarah. We'll see how that happens in a few weeks. But we start here with Abram and Sarai. Now the second thing from that passage I want to point out is in verse 30, where it says, "Now Sarai was barren, she had no child." Now the author did not throw in this detail just for the fun of it. He didn't throw it in there just to bring shame or embarrassment to Sarai. There was a reason, and what we'll see in the coming weeks is that Sarai's infertility actually plays a big role in this story. So now let's move on, chapter 12, verse one of Genesis. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that's Genesis 12:1 through 3, and something I want to point out about this passage. Is that Genesis 12, 1 through 3 is one of the most important passages in the entire Bible, especially in the Old Testament. It's at least top three in the Old Testament. I want to now walk through these three verses to talk about why they are so important and what's happening here. Now, first of all, we see a command where God told Abram to leave his land and people and to follow him. In verse 1, it specifically says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So God told Abram to go, but he didn't yet reveal the destination. Instead, God said to Abram, go to the land I will show you. I will, but not yet. Now, I think about the idea of moving a significant distance. Here in America, it's commonplace for people to move a long way from the place where they grew up. In fact, with the benefit of cars and the benefit of highways, we can travel in less than a day, the same distance that it would have taken Abraham a month or more to travel. I mean, that's how far technology has come that has allowed us to travel so much easier. Today, when we move a long distance, we don't necessarily cut ties with prior relationships. We have telephones, we have email, we have texting, we have social media to stay in contact even over a tremendous distance. Back then, if they were to make a major move, they would basically be cutting ties with most, if not all, of their prior relationships. So God was calling Abram to a radical move. But God also made promises to Abram. And promise one that we see here is that God would make Abram's descendants into a great nation. In verse 2, God said, I will make of you a great nation. And this is really a wild thing, because Abram is just a normal guy. God said, I will make you into a great nation. Not just that you will have a big family, not just that you will have a tribe coming from your line, but that you will be a nation, and, and in fact, a great nation. And for this to happen, Abram was going to need descendants. But do you remember Genesis 11, verse 30? Sarai, his wife, was barren. They had no children, and they were old. But God had made a promise that he would make Abram's descendants into a great nation. That's promise one. Promise two is that God would make Abraham's uh, name great, meaning that his name would be famous and revered. Again, verse two says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name Great. And this, again, is just wild when you really think about it, because Abram's just an ordinary guy. But God said that then he will make Abram to be famous and revered, even remembered for generations to come. Now, there's a fascinating parallel here that we may not recognize in terms of this idea of making a great name. And it comes because one chapter earlier in Genesis chapter 11 comes the account of the Tower of Babel. And there in, in Babel, you have this group of people who comes together. We see in Genesis 11, verse 4, they say, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. So you get this people who are trying to make a great name for themselves? They want to be famous. They want to be revered. They want to be remembered for generation upon generation. But they're seeking to make a great name for themselves out of their own efforts, out of their own ingenuity, and for their own glory. They're neglecting God. This is really a direct affront to God. So God comes, scrambles up all their efforts that they're trying to do there. Remember, they're trying to make a great name for themselves. We come to Genesis 12. We see another reference to making a great name, but this time it's not Abram making a great name for himself. It's not through human effort and for human glory. Instead, it is God who is initiating and fueling this process of giving someone a great name. That's promise number two, that Abraham's name will be made great. Let's move on now to promise number three, that God will make Abram and his descendants into a blessing for the world. Look with me again to verse two. God says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God had promised to do great things for Abram. And the key question is, why did God make these promises? Why is God doing all this? Well, we see at the end of verse 2, the purpose. So that you will be a blessing. Abraham is being blessed. To be a blessing then, to others. The blessings that will come into Abram's life and into his descendants' lives are not for them just alone for themselves. But these blessings are to flow through them then to be a blessing to the entire world, in fact. It's, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling when you really think about what's taking place here. Now let's move on this passage. We've seen a, a call, a, a command to go, to move. We've seen some promises. Now let's move on to see what happens next. Verse 4 At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So Abram built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai to the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So there are two things I want to point out from this passage. And the first one is that Abram obeyed God. It says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abram here is presented as a model of faith and obedience. We see here that God speaks and the narrator speaks, but Abram is silent. He simply obeys Now, I have a question for those of you, especially who are children and teenagers. Think about this in your mind. If you're a child, if you're a teenager, think about this. Is it easy or difficult to obey your parents? Think about that. Is it easy or difficult to obey your parents? I would imagine that sometimes it's not too hard to obey your parents. But I would imagine that many times it is difficult to obey your parents. Because when your parents tell you or ask you to do something, you probably have something else that you would prefer to do. They are interrupting your plans. When your parents tell you to do something, you would probably rather keep uh, playing. You'd probably rather keep laying on the couch. You'd probably rather keep watching TV or playing video games. There are probably lots of other things that you'd prefer to do rather than obey your parents. Obedience frequently requires Sacrifice, and that makes it hard to do. But what we see here is that Abram obeyed God unflinchingly. God called him, and he obeyed. That's the first thing we see here. Abram obeyed God. Secondly, we see that Abram worshipped God. Now, Abram's caravan along the way in following God stopped multiple times, and each time they stopped, we see a pattern developing. That Abram built an altar to worship. God. For instance, verse 7, it says, So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 8, they moved to a different place, and it says, There he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So he's worshiping the Lord. And this worship shows where his heart is. He wasn't obeying God begrudgingly, he wasn't obeying God half heartedly, he wasn't obeying God with strings attached. He wasn't just going through the motions. I'm sure that we can probably all think of times that we obeyed someone half-heartedly, without wholehearted devotion. I think of when I was a teenager, one of my responsibilities was to mow our family's yard. Frequently, I did it fairly willingly. But there were definitely times that I was not willing, not interested in mowing the yard, but I still had to do it. I had to obey. But I did not do it with joy or with gratitude or with generosity or even with a servant's heart. I did it not because I wanted to, but because I had to. I obeyed, but I did it half-heartedly at best. But you look at Abram here. He had sacrificed immensely. He's heading into an unknown future. But what's his response? It's not half-heartedness. It's worship, which shows where his heart is. As Abram was worshiping God, he's really building a deeper trust in God. Because, you know, when you move to some new place, it can be lonely, it can be daunting. I think, for instance, of two big moves I've made as an adult one was eight hours from home, the second move was 12 hours from my home where I grew up and from my family. Eight hours and 12 hours. Each of those moves, I experienced some loneliness. It was kind of daunting. I remember the first time I moved eight hours from home for my last two years of college. And, and I, I had, had an apartment off campus by myself. I remember the day that my parents, they'd moved me in, they went back home. I sat at my kitchen table that night in my apartment, just with tears flowing down my face. Just this deep sense of loneliness, of isolation, of wondering if I had made a mistake. As I sat there at that kitchen table in tears, I remembered that God is the same here in Minnesota as he was in Missouri. And, and in that time, as I remember that reality, it moved me to a place of worship there at my kitchen table with tears rolling down my face. I remember God is the same. And it became a place of worship and renewing my trust in God. And that changed my whole outlook on what was taking place there. I think similarly, a few years later, I moved to Fargo, North Dakota for campus ministry. Now, I'd gotten to know a handful of people there, but I remember in my first weeks, I was on campus one day, and I was just feeling this overwhelming sense of newness and of just the loneliness still of of being in this new place, of not knowing many people, not knowing exactly what to do next. I remember going into this vacant lounge in one of the dorms there. And just, again, probably a few tears coming down my face. But that lounge became a meeting place with God, became a place of worship. And as I focused in on God... In that time of loneliness, then I had my trust in him renewed. I think these same dynamics are probably at play for Abram. I don't know exactly what his mental state was, if he was feeling lonely or a little daunted by what was taking place. But what we see here is worship. And worship would have been building his trust in God. And what's happening here in Genesis chapter 12 is that Abram is beginning to develop a relationship with God. Because for 75 years, Abram had lived in a pagan land. He would probably even worshipped pagan gods and idols. And now the living and true God had appeared to Abram, had called Abram to follow him. This God had the name Yahweh. We actually have the name Yahweh in our Bible. It's not written out in, as Yahweh, but typically it's translated as the term Lord in all caps. Whenever you see the name Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, it's the name Yahweh. And we can see Abram, as he's worshiping Yahweh, as he's following Yahweh, we can see right before our eyes his relationship with Yahweh growing. Now, there are many different applications we could take from this passage. I think, for instance, we could apply this passage in the direction of that we are blessed to be a blessing, of a recognition that every single resource that we have, whether it's our money or our, our time or our skills and talents, that God entrusts these to us, not just to bless ourselves, but so that he can bless others through us as we share our resources and talents generously. We could apply the passage in that way. We could also apply the passage in terms of identity. Are we trying to build a good name for ourselves through our own efforts and for our own glory? Or are we looking to God to establish our sense of identity? We could learn a lot from this passage about the value of obeying God and worshiping God. But if I were to pick out one main application point for our lives, I would point to the importance of surrendering to God. Surrendering to God makes us ready for him to work in us and through us. I mean, look at Abram. I mean, he was willing to surrender everything to God, to hold it all with an open hand, to release the steering wheel of his life. To say to God, not my will, but yours be done. I will follow God wherever you lead. He was willing to do that. And God did great things in him and through him. I mean, think about if he and Sarai would have drugged their feet. If they would have heard the call of God and said, nah, we think we're just going to do things our own way. Or if they would have said, "Uh, uh, not now, God, we're busy. Would we have ever even heard of Abram and Sarai? Probably not. Because surrendering to God makes us ready for him to work in and through us. So that's one valuable application is in our lives to have an attitude of surrender. Of saying, God, I want to follow you. I'm willing to hold it all with an open hand so that I can grow closer to you and so that you can work through me how you will. That's one application point that I would highlight. But there is one other one that I think is valuable, and that is to stand in awe of God back on December 26th. It was a Sunday, and I gave a sermon on, on the wise men. And at the end of that sermon, I, I said that when you read the Bible, and when you read the Bible passage, ask yourself, what do I learn about God and his glory in this passage? It's a great way to get our eyes on the God when we're reading a Bible passage. And that's an important question to ask of Genesis chapter 12. What do we learn about God and his glory? Because in Genesis chapter 12, God was launching his plan to redeem the world. He was doing something big in Genesis 12. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, if you were to read those chronologically, you would see this downward spiral of sin. That the world is just falling into chaos. People are in chaos with one another. People really don't have a real sense of who God is. And as sin is just causing this downward spiral in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, A natural question would be, what's going to happen next? Is God going to do something? Or is this world just going to be stuck in that spiral of sin? That's in the first 11 chapters. And then comes chapter 12 of Genesis. When God chooses a no-name couple who is old and childless, he chooses them to launch his plan of redemption. God made these promises to Abram, and he fulfilled every single one of them. God gave Abram and Sarai so many descendants that they really did become a great nation. We know that nation as Israel, God's chosen people. Through Abram's descendants, God revealed himself to the world. Through Abram's descendants, God gave his law to reveal God's ways. Through Abram's descendants came the prophets who are God's mouthpiece to the world. Scripture was written by Abram's descendants. And the climax of it all was that God's own son entered the world through Abram's descendants. In Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abram, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's talking about people of all nations Listen to the fulfillment of this through Jesus. When Jesus was born, as a descendant of Abram, an angel appeared to some shepherds and said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for whom? All the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. When Jesus grew up, he died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave a commission to his followers, saying to them, Go and make disciples of all nations. And then we see in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, we see a glimpse of heaven when people from every nation, tribe, people, and language are gathered around the throne of God, worshiping him through Jesus. And all this launched back. In Genesis chapter 12, it can all be traced to Genesis 12. Genesis 12 really serves as a fountainhead for everything that comes through the rest of the Bible. This is why I said earlier that Genesis chapter 12 truly is one of the very most important passages in the entire Bible. Because pretty much the whole thing after Genesis 12 can be traced back to Genesis chapter 12. It all started with one man and one woman. were surrendered to god ready to be used by him but the true hero of the story is not abram it's not sarai it's god because in fact the biography of abram is actually a biography of what god has done to launch his plan of redemption in this world a plan that would center on jesus a plan that would culminate in the new heavens and the new earth and a plan that was launched through abram and sarai I mean, it's astounding and captivating, isn't it? We'll continue the story next week. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you're a God who redeems, a God who did not abandon us in our sin, whether personally or as a human race, but that you set forth a plan of redemption that ultimately reached its pinnacle in Jesus, but started long, long before And Lord, I pray that you will deepen our trust in you, that you will deepen our understanding of of how you've worked down through history, of your faithfulness, and that when we face times of loneliness and uncertainty in our lives, when you call us in a direction that may be a little bit challenging, a little bit anxiety-ridden, may not make sense in light of the way the world works, we thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. I pray that you will bolster our faith so that we will be ready to surrender you in all things. And we thank you, Lord, even though we face trials and challenges in this broken world, that you have won the ultimate victory through Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. Lord, I pray that each one of us will be trusting in him, because you alone, Lord, provide hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.